Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you. And welcome back to the greatest show on earth. Once again, it's Wednesday night and it is time for more Talking Terror with an all new episode. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Ghoul Geek film pick of the week, Wrong Turn from 2003, directed by Rob Schmidt. Later on, of course, in the episode. But this is a special one, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, the Med Monkey is still on hiatus. He won't be back until next week. And we do not have the doc tonight either. So we're going old school. Going a little Talking Terror Presents style, the way that it originally was when we first started this podcast. So without further ado, I am joined by the bold and the beautiful, the Ghoul Geek Keith. Hello, 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 everybody. What is going on? We're so glad that you could join us for tonight's episode, doing a little bit old school style, talking about Wrong Turn. We got some horror bits to talk about, but first and foremost, Ghoul, thank you so much for that episode on Saturday, the Rambo Retrospective, Rocky Part 2, uh, no, it's just the long part 2, I should say. Uh, great episode. I thought you and Doc really kind of nailed it. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, indeed, man. Uh, anybody listening, if you if you want to hear uh, our thoughts on the latest Rambo movie, as well as the whole series of Rambo-related films, uh, me and the doc indeed did go and uh, and pull that episode out on Saturday night, and uh, and it is available for uh, for for your listening oral pleasures. Uh, a u r a l pleasures that would be yes. Uh, yeah. No uh, no other oral pleasings were going on, um, but but yes, we threw our opinions out on on all five of the films. Both of us had 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 the the ability to go see the latest Rambo film, and uh, and yeah, so I, I'd give you tinklings and teasings about it, but you know what, man, just go go download the show and listen and find out for yourselves what we thought. Find out what they thought about Last Blood, the newest release. But I wanted to intro that, uh, not just because it was a great episode with you and the doc, but also David Morrill had some things to say about Rambo, the Last Blood, and, uh, you know, kind of harsh, if you ask me. I mean, I'm not a Rambo fan by any means. I know he created the character, he wrote the books, but he said that uh, it made Waterworld look like a masterpiece, and I don't, I don't think I agree with that. You guys saw the movie. Yeah, what do you think about David Morrow and his uh, opinion? I mean, listen, he's the guy that created the character, you know, and as we discussed on the show, um, pretty much the whole first hour was us discussing the book and the first movie. Um, you know, as, as per surprise, surprise, we actually got to talking about things and we found that we ran out of time real quick, man. Um, yeah. You know, two hours sometimes is just not enough. And yeah, I mean, listen, he created the characters, his original vision for the character, what the character represented, what that original story was, was very different 
from what got put on screen in 1982. It was written at a different time. It was written from a different point of view. Um, what the character became in 82, and then from then on what he became in Rambo First Blood Part Two, and so forth and so forth, was something else entirely. So... Uh, I know what Morell said as far as the character representation goes. You know, he felt that the 2008 version of the character was probably the closest to what he envisioned Rambo to be like. Um, mm-hmm. So that being said, I would say what we see in this latest film to be the complete opposite of that because this was not what he wanted to see his character going out as. And I don't blame him. Right. But it leads to the argument to be if this movie was a big hit and it just it was number one smashing records. Do you think he'd have the same opinion, or he would say, "Well, this is great. This is the crowning achievement of Rambo films." No, I think that uh, again, I don't think his opinion because his opinion was before any box office, anything like that. I okay. feel like the, the the character's departure is what he is commenting on there. Um, that being said, again, obviously, look, the character was something that it wasn't – the character was something he didn't create in its other movies. So what happened here is just something else. That's all. I, the, the, the closest thing I can say about it without really giving my opinion on the film is if you want to know what Rambo The Last Blood is about, just go watch the movie Taken, um, and you'll get everything you need to know. Okay. Good comparison. And if you want to hear your thoughts on that, as always, check out that episode on the previous Saturday, where they go a little bit more in-depth with the film. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that, just because I thought it was an interesting uh, thing, uh, the actual creator of Rambo saying all these kind of harsh things. and you know. But like you said, he created the character, so he's allowed you know, that kind of uh, ability, I guess, to critique it in his own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, it's his character. It's his saying, you know, unless... Unless he's somehow going to get the rights back from, you know, from the company that owns it, for the for the filmmaking purposes, there's nothing he's going to be able to do about it otherwise. So, yeah, you know, but it was interesting to see what he thought. Um, <clears throat> but one thing I wanted to talk about kicking off this episode uh, is that this past Saturday, aside from the Rambo episode that you guys recorded, we also lost an icon in the horror community, and that is Mr. Sid Haig himself passed away at 80 following a stint in the hospital. <clears throat> we had been reporting on this, and we had thought that he was going to be okay and recover, but he didn't, uh, and he passed away due to a lung infection. So rest in peace, Sid, but to me, Sid Haig was one of the best. I mean, you met him at a convention. He was full of life, funny as shit, always had stories about all the films that he did. I was so glad that I got his autograph and got to meet him uh, back in 2006 following the release of Devil's Rejects. But I wanted to get uh, what you think about Sid. You know, his movies... Uh, the characters he played, like Captain Spaulding. Uh, listen, man, you know what? I'll be perfectly honest. I know everybody, it's it's funny. You know, being in the horror community the way we have been and all the people mm-hmm. we've met over the years through the horror cons and through mutual friends and this one and this one and that one and that one, everybody seems to have met Sid Haig, except for me and the ghoul girl. <laughs> um, so it was really a bummer. Uh, you know, I know the last couple of times he was at Monster Mania, it was like one of those where, ah, shit, I wish I could afford to go and, and go get the autograph, go get the pic- picture. But then it was like, ah, oh, shit, they sold out anyway. You can't get in. They're talking about lines out the freaking gates, people not getting in who had tickets, who had photo ops, who had this, who had that. Regardless, 
I'll be perfectly honest. I did not know who Sid Haig was prior to House of a Thousand Corpses and all of that. If I'd seen him in other films, I was not aware that I was seeing him in other films. I saw some of his older pictures, and I was like, holy shit, I had no idea that that's what that guy would have looked like when he was younger. You know, for me, Sid Haig is Captain Spaulding. That is how yeah. I will forever see him. I'll, you know, I can go back. I'll go watch his other, other performances and whatnot. But for me, that's the iconic character. That is the character that I know. I remember having the House of a Thousand Corpses DVD, and, like, one night, I guess I just fell asleep. And it was on, and it went to its, you know, its top menu or whatever. And there's Spalding just constantly, again and again, talking about Tiny <laughs> fucking a stump, you know? And he's like, hey, Tiny! You know, and you just see him thrusting back and forth, and just it's just too funny, you know? It was just way, way so over the top, so funny. So, you know, and unfortunately, again, we went and saw Three from Hell, and we didn't even get to see his part in the movie because Bummer. we were yeah. running behind because we had to get our popcorn and because they didn't have trailers and because for the fucking first time ever, they started the movie at seven o'clock on the nose. You know, me and the, the doc were talking about it. We, when we went to see Rambo, we both had about 25 to almost 30 minutes worth of trailers. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. That's overkill. Yeah. I, <laughs> I went, and you would think, yeah. okay. And I went and an evening release, you know, night, all that, Thursday night. Okay, I can kind of take that. You know what? I went and saw Ad Astra on Monday mm-hmm. at like 3.15, 3.45, whatever whatever time it was. There was like 28 minutes worth of trailers. Yeah, like I could have went. Oh, yeah, I could have went in, got my pretzels with cheese, got my water, went back home, took <laughs> a dump, went back to the movie <laughs> yeah. theater, and still would have been there just in time to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's 25 to 30 minutes worth of trailers. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's just why. Like, yeah, I don't understand how there's that much material that you could put before a movie and that people are going to want to sit through. I mean, I could stand two or three trailers, and then I'm good. I want the fucking movie to start. I can't sit through 25, 30 minutes. That's an endurance test. Yeah, no, that's, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, uh, Obviously, look, I want to see trailers because I want to see what's coming up. And maybe I'll get to see mm-hmm. things that, you know, like, hey, I haven't seen this yet or whatnot. But there should right. be some kind of limitation to the amount of yep. time that they fill in. You're broadcasting this movie showtime at 3 o'clock, but the film isn't starting until 3.30. At the very least, give a window of saying, like, hey, you know, movie, you know, whatever, start time 3 Actual film time, 3.25, just so people aren't feeling like they're rushed. And, like, I don't know, like, I know that there's times for me in particular, I hate missing any part of a movie. Like, if I'm in a film, I don't even like to go to the bathroom, okay? Like, I'll hold it, like, painfully if it comes to it, rather than actually missing a minute or two, where, you know, at the end of the film, I'm on that mad dash, you know, trying to look real cool and and all slick, you know, just walking just about as fast as I can without looking like I'm walking in a nervous fashion because I'm about (laughs) to piss my pants. And then I'll get in that damn bathroom, and half the time, I won't even go to the stand-up urinal. I'll go straight to the freaking main 
main bathroom, like toilet thing, just because I know that if I go to the urinal, the splashback is going to be ridiculous. So, you know, it's either I got to stand like a foot away from the damn thing in which everybody's going to see my ding dong, or, you know what, let me get into the damn stall. And this way, if I piss on the floor or wherever it goes, you know, sometimes that shit just goes wild on you. Well, I've had that happen. Trust me. I know exactly where you're at. But, no, I, I, you know, when you said about Sid, how you only really know him as Captain Spaulding, that's fine. Like, it's not one of those actors where I'm like, you don't know he was in his fucking movie. Like, you only know him from this. Like, how? It's easy to miss Sid because he was a character actor. He played characters. And, you know, he was in a lot of Jack Hill movies back in the 70s, uh, starting with Spider Baby in 67 with Lon Chaney Jr. that he went on to be in Coffee with uh, Pam Greer. Um, Foxy Brown. You know, he was usually playing the gangster type. He was always playing some kind of a hitman or a, a gangster. Uh, I loved him in Coffee because he played this gangster named Omar. And in the movie, one of the guys that is working with Omar tries to betray him. So he takes him out to this park and he puts a noose around his neck and he goes, oh, we're going to go take a ride now. And then he proceeds to drag him behind a Cadillac for miles, laughing hysterically the entire time while the chauffeur of the Cadillac looks on in terror. Like it's like your taste of Sid being a horrifying character, and then they show the the body all just messed up and bloodied, and he's like, "See, this could happen to you, my friend. You want to work for me? You want to work for me, and you want to be loyal to me?" I was like, "That's Sid just having a great time with that character." Mm. But yeah, I think his most iconic is is Captain Spaulding by far. I think Rob Zombie really revitalized his career at a time when he didn't even think he needed a revitalization, and to create such an iconic oh. character with Spaulding. Is it me? That's what it is. I mean, he turned him into an iconic character. You know, Spaulding's up there with the Freddy Kruegers of the world. You know, oh, yeah. like if not obviously, if not a list, he's on that that next tier down. So. Oh yeah, but it's like you watch House of Thousand Corpses, you watch Devil's Reject, and there's so many quotable lines from him. You know, what's the matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Aren't we it's fucking like funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm in the mood for some duty of fucking fruity. Dude, he's fucking fruity. Like, you know. And him and Ken Faree just chewing up the fucking scenery when they're together in the end of the movie, talking about doing all his cocaine and just how they're like stone foot roosters in a fuck farm. <laughs> Who fucking says that? You know, it's just mm-hmm. such a good line from Sid. But he, it, it's, it's sad because he, everybody thought that he was going to make it. But Rob Zombie actually gave an interview uh, post his death and said that Sid was sick. He just wasn't telling anybody about it. He was really sick, and he said that Three from Hell is going to be his last one, and he wants it to be his mm. last one. He wants to go out of Spalding. He goes, you can remember me for whatever you want, but I kind of want to go out of Spalding. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm sure in the end he wants to go out of Sid. You know, the reality is he doesn't want to go out at all, but, you know, it, well, happens, well, it happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. Theatrically, yeah, that – is what it is, you know. I mean, everybody wants to have their their big bang, their big finale. You know, everything's been pouring in from Rob's end, which you know. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm not obviously I'm not friends with Rob Zombie on Facebook, but I follow him on Facebook, and it's been awesome seeing all of the photographs that he's been putting up of the various oh, yeah. 
times that he's worked with Sid, some of them are like just production shots of the two of them just like chatting about stuff. And, you know, to be like a fly on the wall during some of those conversations, you know, like you got, you got to think like when you think about some of those lines, what was ad libbed, what was Rob, what was like a little bit of a collaboration between the two of them, you know, like for me, I don't know. I would mm-hmm. think like the whole thing from the house of a thousand corpses at the beginning, you know, fuck your mama, <laughs> fuck your grandma, you know, like that's just sister. awesome stuff. Why <laughs> yeah. you take your mama a bucket of chicken So I don't have to stick my boot up your ass <laughs> Oh up in your ass Oh he got blown my best clown suit <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you yeah, man There's yeah. that one photograph that I love That everybody's been circulating around And uh I guess somebody like just you know And it's one of those where you know It just goes to show you Sometimes somebody just yeah. takes a picture of something yeah. And it, at the time, you think, oh, that's a shitty picture. But then, when you look at it in retrospect, when things change a little bit, it's the picture of him walking away from somebody yep. in a hotel, it looks like. And he's just got the clown suit, like, hanging off the side of his, like, arm. Like, he's just carrying it as he's walking away. And that's, like, just turned into such a cool, iconic little, like, goodbye picture for Sid. Yeah, that photo was courtesy of Misty Woods, and that fucking photo took off. Like, everybody started putting mm-hmm. that up. Because it is, like you said, an iconic picture of the guy carrying that clown suit out of the hotel into back into real life. And it's, you know, kind of his send-off in a way. Like, he's taking that clown suit with him, <laughs> you no. know, to the other side, you know. So, yeah, it was a, a sad thing. But it was it was really great to see all the remembrances of Sid following his death on Monday, just seeing all these people, you know, talking about how nobody was saying, well, he was kind of an okay guy. Everybody was saying how great of a guy he was. Um, and to kind of close it out, there was a great story that he talked about uh, when he met Alfred Hitchcock, because he was in Topaz, which is a movie that Hitchcock directed. And he said he got called to Universal Studios, and he was going to meet Hitchcock in his office. He gets called in, and Hitchcock is at a filing cabinet and filing things, and he goes, oh, Sid, you know, welcome, and, you know, why don't you go have a seat? And he watches Hitchcock walk from the filing cabinet to his desk, and he sees the profile of Hitchcock and starts laughing hysterically. And Hitchcock looks at him, and he goes, well, what are you laughing at? He's like, well, well the, 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 the fucking you, the side view, the silhouette. Oh, Hitchcock presents. That's you. And he just mm-hmm. starts laughing, and he's like, my boy, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> you know, but to to see, I mean, to meet Hitchcock of all people and be able to see that silhouette and just kind of laugh at it, thinking about the silhouette from Albert Hitchcock presents, and to still get the job, <laughs> you know, it's amazing, and it's uh, oh, my favorite Sid story. But speaking about Fathom events, because Three from Hell, obviously, that you saw was a Fathom event. The Twilight Zone is coming, courtesy of Fathom Events, this November, where they're going to be showing six classic episodes from the show. Three-hour running length with all the classic episodes. We're also going to have a retrospective on Rod Serling. I personally think this is really cool, but like we were talking about earlier, you know, it's not a big deal. You can watch these episodes on TV. Not sure it really translates well to seeing it in an environment with other people on the big screen. Well, I think, though, that's the thing. I think what it comes down to is the social interaction behind it. I think your crowd is really going to dictate the enjoyability factor of it. Like I was telling you before, it's not like these were made for the big screen. It's not like these were presented on the big screen. You know, is it cool to watch 
you know, a, a Twilight Zone episode on on a giant movie screen. Yeah, I think it's definitely a cool idea. But again, I think for me anyway, personally, it would come down to just the whole social aspect. Getting a chat with other Twilight Zone fans and, you know, talking all the different episodes up and, you know, nobody being there, being too serious about it. Because I think if you're going and paying the money for the Fathom event, I'm pretty sure you've probably seen all of the episodes they're showing at least uh, uh, at least two or three times each one, you know. Oh yeah, and they picked some good episodes. I mean, I know that we were doing a rundown of the episodes that they're going to be showing. Uh, like I said, there's going to be six. So they're going to be showing to serve man, uh, time enough at last, walking distance, I have beholder, the monsters are due on Maple Street, um, and the invaders. All great ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple that I would probably choose over some of them, but I think we both agree that Walking Distance is probably the best one out of those. That's, That's a classic. A fantastic episode. one. Uh, well, yeah, that, I think the Maple Street one, as far as all of those episodes go, I think for me, Maple Street and the uh, and the, the Burgess Meredith episode with the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the books, you know, like that. No, that, is, for me, it, that is one of my favorite all-time Twilight Zone episodes, you know, like if I was to sit there and give you a rundown of like my top four, is it those are them, you know, that with uh, with 30,000 feet. Um, I think though what they did was they're going to base, they're going to look at this and they're going to see how well it did. And then if it does well, maybe they turn this into a yearly event where next year, maybe you get 30,000 feet and the hitchhiker and so forth and so forth, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, Talkie Tina, 35,000 feet. Um, There's so many ones. A lot of episodes that they can tap into here. So you don't want to you don't want to blow your load on all the best ones the first time you're doing it. They want to get an idea of what kind of money it's going to make, because guess what? That is what it comes down to. Um, I'm interested in seeing how much they're going to charge for the tickets. You know, most of the Fathom events, uh, I won't even say that all of the Fathom events are all. Uh, excluded from the A-list program that I'm in, uh, so you can't. You have to actually pay for your tickets, just like I did for Three from Hell. Which, whatever. I don't, obviously, I don't ever mind that. But if it's uh, if it's too much, I'm not gonna not gonna do it. You know. Yeah, I'm wondering how much they're gonna charge. I know Sorry tickets go on sale so. uh, this Friday, um, so they they don't have the sale prices up yet. Uh, it's gonna go up on the 27th, I believe. The actual event is November 18th. So we'll have to see how much. I think. What did you say that uh, Three from Hell was like? 15 bucks. Yeah, yeah, which, again, I mean, that's a, a newly released theatrical film that costs them money to make, you know, so unless they're doing major, like, again, they're not, obviously, they're not going to be doing major touch-ups to these episodes, it's not <laughs> no. like they're, you know, no. I mean, maybe, what are they going to do, at the most, digitally remaster them, can you even do that with black and white stuff, I don't even know, um, yeah, you know, they going to clean it up, why would you want CGI? to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You know, add some digitally enhanced things. Yeah, I don't know. I would say probably like ten bucks. That would be what I would pay if I was going to go see mm-hmm. the Fathom event. I think ten bucks is fair. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, with that, that uh, and again, like I said, it's it's about the experience. It's about going. It depends on what theater they're going to do it in, and you know, around here they're weird. Um, an event like that, they may only hold it at uh, Hamilton. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like t- tomorrow, I'm actually I'm going to be going to the East Brunswick uh, Theater at 7 uh, because they are doing the fully remastered 4K version of The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick's oh, movie. I so I am, uh, yes, indeed. So I am 
hopefully that'll be my second pass for this week. Uh, we'll only be using two of them unless I get off early enough to go see something else. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty excited for that, especially with Dr. Sleep yeah. coming in a couple weeks. So, Oh man. Yeah. And that's included with a list that one. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like you know. I said, it's my second pass, you know, uh, again, like I said, if, if a movie is excluded from it and it's something that, you know, I really want to see that bad. Like yeah, they're doing uh, every month, they're doing the Miyazaki films. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, Studio Ghibli movies every month. So, like, this coming week is, like, uh, my, my Little Arietti or whatever it is. Uh, the freaking cartoon that was, like, The Littles, that cartoon and mm-hmm. book series from when we were kids. But uh, I know next month, next month is Spirited Away. And, you know, that's my favorite Miyazaki film. I have no, whatever the – I think they're, like, $16, $17 tickets, man, whatever it is. You know, I know I'm there. It's only going to be for three days – uh, not even three days in a row. They do it like, like a, a Sunday, a Tuesday, and then like a Thursday or something like that. So, no, that's pretty good. I mean, that's, you know, for you being a fan, that's awesome. I know that uh, Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead, is going to do some kind of a road show as well. Uh, the 35 millimeter mm-hmm. print and also a 4K resolution cut with uh, a remastered soundtrack by the original composer of the soundtrack, uh, De Luca, Joe DeLuca. Um, and that's hitting, like, specific theaters. That's not, like, an A-list event. That's, like, specific kind of venues. I think the closest one to me is Philadelphia. So I was kind of mm-hmm. interested in going to see that because, I mean, how many chances am I going to get to see Evil Dead on the big screen in a 4K with the big screen? The new soundtrack? Yeah. I mean, yeah it's, and it's, it's you know exciting. what, though? I, I think I would rather see that in the 35 millimeter than me the too. 4K. Yeah. Um, only because that's the kind of movie that might not lend well to that kind of resolution, you know, seeing it that clearly sometimes gives you that whole, that fake look and Mm -hmm. that can detract, I feel like from certain movies, you know, I like that, that movie sheen that seems to happen, especially with some of those older films, you know, whatever it is, it's from the film quality and whatnot, whatever. I just like it, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm in that camp, too. We've talked about in the show many, many times that I'm not necessarily a big fan of 4K restorations. I think that the film grain that's already on there kind of adds to it in a way. Like, I don't need to see it too glossy, too clean, because then I think it takes away from the impact of the film. That or, again, it depends on the movie, you know what I mean? If the film is something where it's, it's story-based or mm-hmm. it's fantastical, you know, you don't want something too clear because again you're going to start to see the things that aren't real uh that's right. like i said when i initially mm-hmm. got like a 240 hertz television you know the, the seeing people move at that refresh rate is oh, kind yeah. of jarring at first because it's like watching somebody move in real life and you're not seeing you know the the, the blur that you normally see on a television so being you seeing all that kind of stuff it, it started to make me appreciate some of the the finer details in filmmaking and television you know set design costuming stuff like that uh, saw that with the Hobbit films because they did it with that high frame rate with the the release mm-hmm. for that. Um, but you know, at the same time too, it is it's it's hard to to really focus on. I think you know movies that are like I'm looking forward to seeing The Shining because again, that's like right. that 2001 films like that where it's all about the visual aesthetic oh, yeah. of it. It's all about like getting to see everything as clear as possible because it's gonna just get weird, you know. So I'm ready <laughs> yeah. to get weird tomorrow night, man. Yo, I can't wait to hear about it, you know, when you tell me about what it was like. Because the 4K 
restoration of that movie, I'm kind of okay with. Because like you said, mm-hmm. Kubrick was such a visual director that there's things that you don't want to miss. Like you want to see what you didn't see with the original cut. And hopefully this 4K oh, wow. one will make it even more visual. Oh, the giant screen too, seeing Jack's mm-hmm. glorious head. And, you know, they were doing it at the theater in Hamilton. You know, a lot of seats were taken. There were still plenty of seats, like, you know, that were within my range. But it's that 38 to 40-minute ride. I saw they were doing it right here at East Brunswick. I don't know. The theater might be – it's one of the smaller theaters. It might mm-hmm. have, like, 20, 25 seats top. So it's mm-hmm. going to be like getting a view it in my own little personal movie theater. And, you know, I know there's going to be a bunch of other people in there as well. So I am – you know, if any of them are listening, I'm looking forward to joining you all tomorrow on this little trip. Ah, man. And plus, like, just thinking about it, seeing on a big screen, seeing the depth of the overlook in those hallways. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on what it's like to see it on the big screen. And just seeing that depth and seeing how empty and how huge the overlook really is. Well, we will find out, man. I think the only way you get closer is to actually go there. <laughs> yeah, but you can because it is there. Um, but switching gears because, of the, you know, the 80s was the shining. But moving to another year, specifically 1984. Last week on FX, AHS 1984 premiered. I know, Ghoul, you had a chance to watch it, as did I. Uh, what did you think about the premiere episode? I enjoyed it. You know, it definitely is. Uh, I mean, listen, they're not going for 80s realism here. You know, they're not going for the whole, like, let's say, like, you know, even to, to, to use Stranger Things as a as an example is kind of blurring mm-hmm. yeah. it a little bit because I feel like they're not even fully going for full 80s realism either. More of like right. a, a blend or a blur similar to the Goldbergs where it's like a mashup of everything about it. This is the 80s hypercolor edition. Everything mm-hmm. is like tuned up to like a level 12. Like, you know, like this is so 80s. It is 80s, 80s. You know, not just 80s, but 80s. Um, and I like it. I found it fun. Yeah. I found it funny. Um, I miss, you know, I've, I, I, and obviously, listen, we're one episode in. Second episode airs tonight. I'm looking forward to watching it. The, the intro is great. The episode was fun. I just know how hard I'm going to miss Evan Peters, man. You know, and like mm-hmm. that thing, he's always been my favorite one in all of these seasons. Like, I'm watching, like, today, I didn't get to finish it. I've never seen the damn movie before. I finally put it on on Netflix. That movie never backed down. I had no idea Evan oh, Peters yeah. was in this movie. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, there's Evan Peters on the screen, and it just, like, my face lit up. I was like, holy shit, there's young Evan Peters. This movie just got that much better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be weird uh, seeing him uh, Him and Sarah Paulson. I mean, I'm not a huge Sarah Paulson fan, but she's such a regular on that series where you just expect her to pop up. And the fact that she mm-hmm. said that she's not going to be a part of it, just like Evan Peters said, just like Jessica Lang has said, um, you know, the Another huge that you're loss. Miss. Not at all. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's not a huge loss. But it's one of those things where it's like, eh, you know, they're regular. No, so no, no. I said another huge loss. I think Jessica oh, Lange another. is a huge loss, actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, she lends – Jessica Lange has that old-style Hollywood starlet mm-hmm. characteristic about her. You know what I mean? She yeah. lends a level of sophistication to every character that she does on that show 
that nobody can ever match. They'll, you know, they're not going to be able to, unless they bring another actress in who I couldn't even think of off the top of my head who could possibly do that right now. Maybe an Angelica Houston. You know what I mean? You'd need to bring in somebody of like that kind of caliber to match that kind of characterization because of how she performs, the way she performs, the elegance oh, yeah. about her, even though she's a much older actress. You know, there's just a flow, the way her wordings come out, everything. You know, you don't get that, you know, and losing her is, is, is to me, it's a big deal, man. It's, it's a bummer. Now, I don't know where you'd fit her into an 80s base slasher season, but I'm sure mm-hmm. they could have thought of something. Yeah, to me, I thought that Leslie Grossman, who plays the the former camper that buys the camp, I thought that would have been yeah. cool for Jessica Lange to play. That not necessarily she that won't. character, but no, I'm not talking about the character. I'm talking about her buying the camp, like a, a Mrs. Mm-hmm. Voorhees type. You know, she's that's, buying the camp. Yeah, that's that's the way to go. Would be a Mrs. Voorhees type, but you know, we don't. I'm not expecting them to play to that trope because I always expect mm. more out of AHS. And they've always brought that. It's always been, you know, if it's not that they've done more to subvert your expectations, it's that they took your expectation, shook it up really, really hard in a glass, and then kind of delivered it as you expected, but with just a little bit more flavoring than, than you really thought was going to be there. Oh, I completely agree. And and to kind of resound what you had said about the hyper, uh, you know, the hyperism of the 80s, it's there uh, with American Horror Story 1984. Uh, that intro, it's like they should give you a baggie of cocaine and leg warmers. Like that's how fucking 80s that <laughs> intro is. <laughs> the synth and all the images, and it's like you are transported back to 1984. And I like John Carroll Winch returning as Mr. Jingles. Uh, such an imposing figure, you know, as the possible killer. He's obviously the killer in 1970. Is he the killer now? Maybe, maybe not. I do have my theories that Leslie Grossman might be set up to be the killer, but we will see. I think it's possible, but I think that Jingles is going to be a red herring. But, um, oh. yeah, I just I think uh, As we find out with every season of this show, though, because everything's truncated, you know, like that's the one thing. When you think of most television shows, you always feel like they're setting things up for people or, hey, this character is going to be around for a couple of seasons and whatnot. But with this, everything's truncated into one season. And that's always yeah. such a jarring yeah. experience because they'll kill off a main character within like the first two episodes. And then it's like, wait a minute, fuck, what are they going to do now? And, oh, here comes yet another person that you forgot acted in this show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the tropes were all there for 80 slashers. Like, if you're like us and you have 80 slashers, you'll appreciate it because they have the flying cat trope, uh, the mental patient escaping from the hospital. You have Mitch Pelegi, Horace Pinker himself, from Shocker showing up as yep. the head of the hospital. Like, as soon as you see him, just like you would uh, say, holy shit, Horace Pinker. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I want to talk about the one thing before I get excited, two points. One, I don't know how you feel about Richard Ramirez being in the season. I feel like it's not necessary, and I kind of want to see what they're doing with it because to me, it's just it's throwing something else in there that's not needed. But I, I feel like they have a point. There's a reason why they're bringing in uh, the Night Stalker. Yeah, I mean, I think it's to give the it's to give the season its location. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, kind of how, like, you know, we can look at the son of Sam and know that it's New York City. You know, whatever the movie might be, you know, you know that if that gets mentioned, you're in New York City. Um, And, you know, if you know that that's going on, you know, let's say a newspaper blows by just mentioning it, you know you're in 1976 or 77. Um, Right. So I feel like they're kind of doing that. It's also possible, though, that they're using this as yet another way to tie into even another season. Um, Mm -hmm. We know that they did a combo season last year, so maybe they're looking to work into that again. This could come up this season. This could come up four seasons from now. You know, who knows? Maybe – what what is this season nine? Yeah, yeah nine. So yep. maybe season twelve is serial killer, you know, or something to that effect. But you know, we'll find out. I mean, I did like seeing him, and I thought it was an interesting element to bring in. Um, but Emma Roberts, who I don't normally like, and I've said this before, I actually love her on AHS nineteen eighty four. I love her character. I love the look. Uh, it's just it's a, a perfect role for her. And I, I was following that character. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. But to me, the biggest fucking mindfuck was Matthew Morrison showing up in this season as big dick fucking man, you know, walking in with a mustache. I had no idea that was fucking glee Matthew Morrison. I was like, I know that guy from Summer. Where the fuck do I know him from? And I looked up the name and I'm like, that's fucking the guy from Glee. <laughs> like, as soon as I here. saw him, man. And it's funny, I need to, you know, I want to go back and rewatch the first episode because I don't know if you see it at first in his pants or, like, you know, I don't know if they, they, they had him facing a certain way prior so that you don't see that he's got this gigantic schlong. But the second he gets presented, I mean, the second I saw his face, the first words out of my mouth was like, holy shit, it's Shoe. Like, I really didn't expect to see Will Schuster show up in this show at all. But then to find out that he's got, like, your typical 1980s, mustache with the porn star dick like here's Johnny Watt himself it was like wham there's Schuster it was so fucking jarring to see him in that because I was like I know him from somewhere he was on the show and I looked it up I was like oh he was from Glee but I love his character with the gigantic dick and just walking around he knows that he's got this thing in his pants like the elephant trunk like the one girl calls it I think at one point I was like it's just Mm -hmm. massive and she just goes right away, you know, with the one girl to go swimming. And I was like, yeah, it's so 80s. Like, this is what happens in the slasher film. Like, they meet, and immediately they're going to the fuck. <laughs> like, That's all it's about. It's just it's an 80s slasher. <clears throat> it's bang, 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 bang. Bang, 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 bang. That's what I love about the yeah. 80s slashers, man. Oh, and, and I was glad that they didn't, they didn't hold back on the gore. <clears throat> in the first episode, they didn't hold back at all with Jingles in 1970, rivaling, like, Jason Voorhees in terms of body count. When they show that whole cabin that's filled with dead bodies that he's taken the ears off of, oh, I was yeah. just, just so in love with it because it was such a great set piece. But also, when they showed Leslie Grossman's character underneath all the bodies and they have the blood in their eye, it was such a great effect. Yeah, and I mean, again, when, when we say Jason Voorhees-style, like, level, we're talking, you know – the final chapter level of yeah. war. We're not talking oh, like yeah. the first couple of movies in which it was, you know, everybody was up in arms about how gory it was, but it really wasn't that gory. Um, now, now when you look at some of the stuff that, that followed later. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I always love the show and it, it's, it's really yet to ever disappoint me. Maybe they have a season or two where I'm like, meh 
about the overall story arc or the whole season. Right. I got two seasons that I still haven't even finished, uh, Cult and Hotel. Um, but ultimately, for ten episodes, you know, or eight, whatever amount of episodes they have per season, you know, it, it really is just such a fun ride, man. And it's always sad when it's over because you know you have whatever amount of time you gotta wait. And uh, and yeah, so and yes, I do think Emma Roberts looks good in this in this season. Uh, you know, oh, that yoga sequence, hell yeah. Yeah, oh, fantastic. You know, Billy Lord is another one where she's yeah. a little bit odd-looking, man. But I'll be perfectly honest with you. Ever since that season in Cult, where she's talking to Evan Peters, and she goes on about how the most humiliating thing that ever happened was letting that one dude bang her in the ass. And then his next question is, well, what's the hottest thing that ever happened to you? And she's like, letting that dude bang me in the ass. I'm like, you know what? You're my kind of girl. Okay. <laughs> yeah. just, you know, you, you just totally like upped it like big time. I know she's in like the Star Wars movies with like a total, like I, she, she probably has a name, like every character does, you know, if you know all the ins and outs of every little thing, but I've yet to ever see her be named in any way. She's always got weird hair. She's always funny looking, but dude, I'm like, mm-hmm. man, that's, that's that chick. I just want to do her in the butt. And she was the uh, like the party girl in AHS 1984, correct? Billy Lord? She was the one that wanted yes. to fuck Matthew Morrison? She was the one in the water, yep. Okay, so that, that's who it was, yeah. I mean, I was expecting, honestly, one of the characters to die in the first episode. I thought that's what they were going to do, like you had said. You're expecting one of the core characters to get off in the first episode, and they didn't. And in a way, I'm kind of glad, because they had ten episodes, so they could stretch it out. But I was actually yeah. thinking that one of them was going to get killed right away. We saw um, that entire opening sequence. There was a lot of kills. And the other kid got killed in the episode as well, the, the guy that they pick up on the side of the road. So, oh, the and you know me, what, yeah. man? Holy, holy shit. Her character's name is Lieutenant Connix, and I had no idea that Billy Lord is Carrie Fisher's daughter. Oh. Wow. Her actual daughter in her life? Yeah, yeah. The only child of the actress Carrie Fisher. I had no idea. Huh. No. I am sorry, my I'm sorry, my princess, but I do wanna to do your your, your daughter in the butt. <laughs> my bad. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I'm forever, like I, yeah. I am forever saddened by Carrie Fisher. She died on my fucking birthday, man. So so for me as a huge Star Wars fan, losing Carrie, you know, losing my princess on my birthday, real bummer. <laughs> you know, you lost a princess, we all lost a captain I mean, it's tough when these things happen uh, But like I said before the episode premiered I was one of those people that's like, I'm so excited for this I hope it doesn't suck I was like, I hope it's not one of these shows Where it's like, yeah, the first episode's great And the rest of them are going to suck I've seen the previews for further episodes And I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to be okay I think this might be my favorite season of American Horror Story Because I think their heart is firmly planted Right in the 80s, right in the slasher genre And I, I love it I'm glad they waited to to do it too. You know, I know yeah, because there yeah. was that uh, Canadian series slasher. Um, mm-hmm. That you know that you know with it not being set in the '80s, but still had that whole aesthetic going for it. Um, we had the Scream television series. You know, Ooh, which I think just yeah. had a new season like released or something. Uh, me and the girl tried to go back. We tried to go back and like start watching it from season two again. We might have made it a quarter of the way through like the first episode, and we were remembering things. We just don't remember where we stopped on season two. Right. 
But we didn't even make it through that whole entire episode of starting season two over again before we were like, yeah, we just, I don't know. The first season was fun. I think it had to be like in the flow of it to like really enjoy it. And I don't know. I just, yeah, maybe we'll pick it up again. We're weird that way. But, you know, like I said, the ghoul girl went through all of Dexter. She's finished that up. You know, she just restarted Grey's Anatomy. Knowing her, she'll be mm. done with that in about two weeks, all 16 seasons. Uh-huh. I can't believe that show's still on. I was like, holy shit. When I saw the season premieres tomorrow, I was like, that show's still on? It's been on for like 20 well, years. That's why she actually wanted to go back and watch it. She used to watch it. She had no idea it was still on the air. She thought it ended as well. Um, so, yeah. so she's going back to the beginning and restarting it. I have never actually watched the full episode, which to this day I still have not watched the full episode. We started watching. I started watching episode one with her yesterday. I just never got to finish it. So, I watched uh, some of the early seasons with my ex when I was on because she was a huge fan of it. And there was this really hot actress named Sarah Ramirez who played one of the doctors, and I had such a crush on her. I was like, I actually want to watch this now because she's really hot. And then she kind of left after a real quick couple seasons. So I'm like, well, I'm out. <laughs> you know, had a good run. You know, I can't watch it anymore. Yeah, you know, I have no interest. But, uh, uh, yeah, longevity, I guess, for this show. I can't believe they're still coming up with ideas, you know, to get people to come back. But I guess they are. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's like CSI and Law and Order and all of that stuff. The reality is this. Every day, all kinds of crazy things are happening at hospitals, emergency rooms, Mm -hmm. you know, surgeries, things like that. I'm sure they borrow a lot of their stories from real life. And being that that never gets gets old, it never stops, it never ends. You could probably just, just like a South Park episode, you could just keep going with whatever's topical at any given moment, you know, and just, just go that route with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since we talked about AHS 1984, uh, there was another movie that's going to have its premiere at the Woodstock Film Festival next month. Uh, I watched the trailer, and I kind of sat on it, and I said, you know what? I want to share this with the ghoul. because it on looks... it, dude. <laughs> I did. I sat on it hard, and it felt good. Uh, but... I kind of just – I sat back and I watched it, and I thought, this is something I want to kind of discuss because the movie is called 18 to Party, um, and it follows a group of eighth graders that can't get into a club, so they go to the back of the club and kind of hang out, and discussions involve absentee parents. Yeah, it's a masturbate jerk off. Um, UFOs and teen suicides. I mean, they're labeling it as a horror film, and but that led to us having the discussion of elevated horror because it doesn't feel like a horror film. It doesn't play out that way. I didn't see anything in the trailer that would lead me to believe that it's a horror film, but except for the fact that they're mentioning UFOs and teen suicide. It felt to me like a redo of Suburbia from the 90s, except with eighth graders. Mm. So, I mean, again, is it being listed as a horror film? I watched the trailer. When you, you told me to check it out, you know, whatever the link was that you sent, definitely didn't yeah. feel or sound like a horror movie in any way. No. No, but Dread Central, uh, that I get some of my news bits from, was reporting on it and saying that it's, it's a horror film. It's kind of like Stranger Things, except it doesn't have all the crazy creatures and stuff like that in Stranger Things. So kind of, that's why it kind of led me to believe that this could be an elevated horror, where they're talking about UFOs and did they actually see one? And that's how it all ends. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the trailer looked interesting. I might want to check it out, you know, when it comes out digitally. But I just didn't see where the horror fit in. 
it just seemed more of like a teen angst thing. Let's see, for me personally, I <laughs> hope <laughs> I'm sure being that it's based in the eighties, it's gonna be borrowing off of the uh you know, the the Penelope Spheres nineteen eighties suburbia movie. I'm hoping <laughs> for it to give me a little bit more of the nineteen nineties suburbia mm. film because I just you know what? That was one of those weird ones that I ended up renting and like really wanted a like, right? And I'm like, Oh my god, I can't wait to see this damn fucking movie already. I remember seeing the trailers for it, missed it in theaters. I think whatever theatrical run it had was like real limited, real quick, in and out. But I remember seeing it at Video Home Center and being like, Bam, I can't wait to rent this, I'm gonna watch this. I'm going to love this movie. And then I watched it, and I was like, this kind of stunk. It it wasn't what I expected. But this was one of those movies, like certain films that I end up finding, that got better with each subsequent viewing. And, like, when it was on its cable run, I found myself watching it again and again and again. <laughs> like, it would be on, yep. and I would end up watching it. Like, for whatever reason, I'd be like, oh, that stupid fucking suburbia movie's on. And then, you know, an hour and a half would go by, and I'd be like, wow, I can't believe I actually just sat through that again. So uh, that that's what I'm looking for, you know? Like, I don't know. At that time, I figured Giovanni Ribisi was going to end up being, like, a big actor, and I guess he just kind of vanished. Yeah, I, I don't know where he is right now, but yeah, I, I cannot believe that you know you have the kind of same opinion about that movie as I did, because I saw it for the first time in VHS and I thought, huh, it's a movie, you know, I don't understand it really. I mean, it's okay. And then over time on cable, I'll find it on and I'll put it on, and then all of a sudden the movie's over. I'm like, I just sat through suburbia again. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, I know. What? Like, I don't. It's not that I don't like it. It's not that I like it. It's just it's on and I watch it. You know, I want to like it, you know, but it's like you got Nikki Cat in there from Days of Confused, Giovanni Rubisi, uh, Parker, Posey Parker Posey is in the movie as well. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, it's, it's, again, it's not a bad movie, but it's just one of those movies where you just put it on and watch it and you don't know why. <laughs> you huh. just, you get through it. You know what it is? Again, I think that part of the reason why. You know, we can deep dive a little bit here because, again, obviously sure. we're going to be talking about <laughs> wrong terms. Wrong There's really terms. not much depth that we're going to get involved with that. But to deep dive yeah, into suburbia a little bit, I think yeah. part of the reason why I didn't like it as much the first time watching it was in order to enjoy it, you really had to accept how mundane your reality was because it fucking wasn't that far from what we actually were doing every single fucking weekend night at Soda King or at the library or, you know, wherever it was that we were just planting our, the, the fucking Roy Rogers, you know, before it became Wendy's. And then when it was Wendy's for a short period after, like those <laughs> yeah, were all the that. places that we would meet up the Wawa on nine. Like we would meet, yep. that's where we would score a little bit of, of whatever, find out whatever might be going on that night. And then deciding if we were going to go there, go do something else or just do nothing and there were so many times where just doing nothing was exactly what got chosen and I just remember there were those those conversations that you would have that the, the kind of teenage conversations that you know you feel like were the most important things that could ever go down about, you know, what you were going to do with your life and how you were going to move on and how you were so tired of, you know, living this mundane existence in this world and we're so important and we rule everything, but we got to get home before our moms kick our ass, you know, that type of deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I, I think that you might be right about that. But I think it was a little bit too realistic, um, the, you know, because we grew up in the same town, which is not that far of a throw from the movie town. Mm-hmm. Place. And like you said, hanging out at all these places. I used to hang out at All-American Deli all the time, right behind there. Oh, I, li- cigarettes. I, <laughs> you know? I live down the block from it, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, but like you said, just hanging out at different places, you know, scoring a little bit of weed, maybe you get a couple of beers and hang out with your friends, and that's just all life was. And you had these big fucking dreams. I'm going to get out of this fucking place one day. I remember hanging out uh, out front of the 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 buy right liquors, whatever it was, on Route 9 over there by Bagel World, waiting oh, yeah. to finally yep. find some dude. And this has got to be like 1993. 93, mm-hmm. 94, somewhere in there. Zima had just like come out and was like, hugely popular at the time. Oh, it was. And we yeah. finally got some dude to, like, go in and buy us, like, a six-pack of it. And, like, I remember me and my buddy Jay, like, running across the street, going behind, like, the real estate place. I think it's, like, Century 21, right across the road from it. And, like, just sitting back there and, like, drinking it and realizing that, you know what, the better it's part shit. of that entire <laughs> moment was waiting because it was the yeah. adventure of actually getting it. Because once you actually got it and tasted it, it was like, yeah, this is kind of shit. But it gave us yeah. a buzz and we were fucking happy. But then it was back to, you know, his mom. Well, no, we never, we never touched the scotch. That was the one no, thing that made yeah. us like puke. But we we hit every other type of booze possible, thinking we were geniuses and putting water in it in, in its place. You know, because our parents would never <laughs> yeah. figure that out. No, typical teenage logic. You know, they'll never find out. We'll just even it out. <laughs> you know? It's vodka. It's the same color. You know. They won't even notice the taste. I'll just be like, it's just vodka. There's no water in this. Oh, you use too much ice, you know, that type of deal. Dude, I remember getting chewed the fuck out, man. Mm. My parents very rarely drank. So being that we hit the bottles there as often as we did, because they so rarely drank, like by the time when they finally did actually like need it, to find out like the whole entire gigantic bottle of absolute was pretty much replaced with water was like, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I heard the door open. I heard the feet coming down the steps to my room <laughs> in the basement. It was one of those. I was not going to get to the door in time to lock it. All I could do was oh. just sit there, bite the bullet, take the thrash and I was going to get for it. And that was that. <laughs> yeah. You took too much at the thing. You gotta have an equal. You, you know, you, you gotta get halfway down. That's when you stop. You know, I gotta move on to something else. They're gonna notice. Listen, like, like I said, they don't drink that often. So it was like, yeah. you know what? I figured eventually we'd be able to score a bottle, and I'd be able to just replace the whole bottle before they would ever drink. You know, but then they had like friends over or some kind of party going on, and it was like, okay, well they're planning the party. I could probably get away with it because they're gonna be buying new booze and. You know, but no, like that was the one thing that they felt like they were stocked enough of and because they had like one of those really big, big wide diameter fucking absolute bottles. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Keats yeah, ass mean, that's for sure. And, and like I said, suburbia, I related to it just like you did because we both grew up in a small town and you kind of want to get out of that place. And you think bigger and better things while you're hanging out with your friends and just, you know, bullshitting. But it's one of those things where I saw that at the same time I saw Clerks. And I related to Clerks as well, though, in a way, even though it's a funny movie, it's Kevin Smith, his first film, at the same time, it's it's true to life in a lot of ways. 
Yes, know, going through clerks, the doldrums. Clerks treated the mundaneness of not being a teenager realistically. Yeah. It took the mundane of being an adult and working a job and then twisted it with conversation that was way above the regular conversations you had, even though it wasn't, you know, like, I don't know, like they, they made it seem to be like conversations that were much more intelligent than standard daily conversations. And maybe they were not the kind that you had every day, but they were the ones that you had, at least if you were like us, where you had them regularly, you know, I don't know. Like that's how I felt. Like that's why I related to clerks and his other movies as much as I did. Um, but I don't feel like it showed the the small insignificantness yeah. of us as teenagers the same way Suburbia did. So, like I said, I think that's why I rebelled against it the way I did because it was just like it was like fuck you, I'm cooler than that. My friends are cooler than that. We're all better than that, dude. That's not what it's really like. Screw you guys, man. But yeah, that, was yeah. That that's what we were like. Yeah, and that's probably the best, like you said, <clears throat> the best way to refer to suburbia, <clears throat> especially if you grew up in a small town uh, of that, where it's like you don't want to believe it's true, but it is. You know, you're at the same place that you were last Friday. You're at the same quick check. You're at the same, you know, liquor store hanging out behind there thinking that you're fucking cool as shit, and you're really not. <laughs> you're just a fucking teenager who thinks you're rad as shit. Yeah, and and you're you're insecure, and you know at that time your girlfriend's the most important girl that you're ever gonna know. You don't want that person to grow in any way because they're gonna outgrow you. You're supposed to always be the one growing before them, you know. And then that one friend that you know maybe gets a break and is in some you know some band somewhere, you know you're like yeah, well that fucking person's a poser, you know. Like get out of here, man. That ain't real. <laughs> Until they actually get that one hit, and you're like fuck. Like what am I doing with my life? Fuck that guy. Oh, wow. Sold out. I was lucky that my best friend was heavily into music. And I believe me, all I would have wanted was for him to have, you know, nothing but successful bands. I know he, he played in various bands. I think the coolest thing was seeing him play in CBGB's. Um, but I always felt like the bands that he was playing with never ta- were tailored towards the types of music he grew up with or would have been. Mm more comfortable singing. I felt like he was always trying to tailor himself to the band style of music as opposed to being the type of singer that I knew he could be. Um, and then my other buddy is a bass player for, you know, a band that ended up having a fairly successful uh, EP come Don't out. Kill fear. Much further than that. Yeah, man. Song, dude. It was a killer sound. It was a killer song, man. I, I still listen to it every now and again. Yeah. It's good. He is a fucking talent, Joe Fazio. You know, he sent me some of his stuff that he does on bass. I'm like, you are a talent. (laughs) I'm glad that you never let it go. You know, that you kept up with it. Yeah, well, I'm just glad Joe doesn't do destructive things. You know, like he's always found. Exactly. He's always been. Like if he was if this if he was born in today's society, he would have definitely been classified as ADHD and every other damn thing under the spectrum. But of thankfully, course. over the years, he's just found you know the base. He's found you know his jujitsu that he does. He's got his family, and you know I'm I'm not a religious person, but you know he's deeply he's deeply rooted in his religion, and you know there's no knock against that. I mean he's he's found everything no. that he needed to make himself. You know, a, a stable, steady person, man, and, and that's awesome about Joe. 
Yeah, he's I a cool guy. Yep. Me and him had some videos back in the day, dude, when Wayne's World had come out, you know, me and him using his parents' camcorder. <laughs> like, you're talking, we had the wigs, we had, you know, all this fucking mm-hmm. just, just silly, silly, silly stuff that I would hate to see, but at the same time would love to see. Unfortunately, oh, they, awesome. they're all gone. They're all gone. <laughs> just, you know, they, they've that been recorded be... over and just oh. destroyed. Be so fucking rad to see those. <laughs> I would definitely want to see what you guys came up with. Um, but before we take a wrong Terrible, turn into sure. the podcast and talk about the movie for tonight, what do you else? Uh, what else do you want to talk about? Otherwise, we have to get into the movie. Oh, you were the one that had ten topics, man. I did. I had so many, you know. But like I said, we're reaching that hour mark, so I don't really have anything big uh, left to talk about, really. Um, so that's why I said, if you have anything you wanted to talk about, bring it up. Otherwise, we're going to take a wrong turn into the podcast. Let's do it. All right. So, Gould, this is your pick for tonight, Wrong Turn from 2003, directed by Rob Schmidt. Uh, let's get into it. Give us a breakdown. Wrong turn. A group of pretty people take a wrong turn into the woods of West Virginia. <laughs> um, oh, listen, take man, me home, is, uh, country one. roads. <laughs> <laughs> to the place where I belong, West Virginia. West Virginia. Um, Country cannibals. I love them. Nah, this is one of those weird films from like that early 2000s era. You know, I kind of feel bad. My two picks in the last, you know, the last month have been cannibalistic, like mutated people. <laughs> I'm going to try to go something, something different next time. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe. <laughs> I, I think, you know, maybe I'm pregnant. I'm not sure. Um,. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now I got no, like a, a typical set of WB pretty style people mm-hmm. get lost in the woods and attacked by a bunch of mutated cannibal inbreds. Yeah, that's pretty much the premise. Um, but I like I said, you hit it right on the head with like the pretty people. I mean, a lot of the Dutch coup back in 2003 was just you know she was everywhere. You know, in Buffy and True Calling and all these different movies, she, like she was the it girl back during that time. And Desmond Harrington, who would go on to be a Dexter, he was also in a movie that you picked too, Ghoul, Neon Demon. So maybe you have a thing for Desmond yep. Harrington. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know. She looks like an movie, Irishman, you know? Yeah. The movie itself isn't bad. Um, I can't say this is a bad movie. I actually was excited to talk about it because I do like Wrong Turn. But watching it this time, it definitely feels like they're just basically saying, what if we took Hill Device and then mashed a little bit of Deliverance in there and Texas Chainsaw and see what comes out? And that's what Wrong Turn is. You know, that's my opinion about it. Listen, this is, you know, this is one of the better films that came out during this time frame. This was that, like, you know, I don't know, I guess you would count... I guess you could count it anywhere from what? H2O was uh, 1998. Um, so let's say anywhere from 98 to about 2005, 2006. We had mm-hmm. that surge of, again, WB style actors doing, you know, getting into into these types of situations. I mean, hell, dude, you know what? I guess it continued all the way up until like fucking 2009's Friday the 13th remake. I mean, oh, even, I guess you can count remakes into that, too. You had, yeah. you know, Last House on the Left. I mean, all of these yep. films felt derivative of films that came from the 70s, the early 80s, like that time frame, just with a little bit of a different twist. House of Wax, Last House on the Left, you know, Hills Have Eyes, 
this film. You know, this film went on to spawn six sequels. You know, this, mm-hmm. this hit like Saw level sequels. All I don't think any of them were theatrical. This was the only one that was theatrical, and I remember this coming out in theaters. I did not see it in theaters though. I did. I actually did go to see this in the theater because I was I just had such a thing for Eliza Dushku. I was like, I will see anything that she's in, good or bad. So hot. <laughs> I will check her out. She's so smoking hot, especially in this movie because, like you said, the pretty people. Like she looks perfect in every scene. Like, she doesn't look frazzled. She doesn't look hurt. Like, her makeup is perfect the entire time. No matter what she's getting into, she just looks screen ready all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, Dushku is one of those who, you know, it's funny. The, the first time I'd ever seen her was actually in True Lies. Um, she was That's right. She was daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember at that time looking at her and being like, Wow, I really wish they would have picked a prettier actress to play this character. You know, she was fairly important being uh, the daughter of, uh, you know, Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, So that being said, you know, fast forward a couple years later. And by a couple years later, I mean six, when Bring It On (laughs) came out. Okay. And then here is, yeah, Dushku in the whole cheerleader getup, playing like the badass bitchy, you know, like, I'm better than all these other, you know, snobby bitches cheerleading, but I still got skills. Like, that's the role that this character started taking on, you know, and Buffy and whatnot. Um, I think she yeah. played Faith in Buffy, didn't she? She, did. uh, she was, yep. like a, she was, she was another vampire slayer who would come in because um, Buffy was not doing her job right, essentially. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I enjoyed that from whenever I did watch it. But, yeah, Bring It On, Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, Soul Survivors, The New Guy. Oh, yeah. Like, she just started popping up in she show, movie, yep. everything, and so hot. Like, just <laughs> yeah. girls, girls liked her, guys liked her. Like, she seemed, like, open to everything, and I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. that's how yeah. she was in real life. I think she identifies as, like, a bisexual, and I know she's had plenty of ups and downs throughout her career moving on later, and I know, like, the last that we had talked about it, I guess, with everybody else on the chat, you know, like, you know, I guess she had, uh, like, the, the latest thing, I, the last thing I remember hearing about her was, I guess she's been part of that whole, uh, the Me Too thing, because I guess she was abused, unfortunately. You know, somebody sure in uh, in Hollywood was taken, uh, yeah, that's right, it was one of, like, the production assistants or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Because I remember she was in an episode of The Big Bang Theory a couple of years ago as an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's the last time I think I saw her before she kind of went into her own personal life. She had her demons and everything like that, like a lot of actresses have. And now she's a big part of the Me Too movement. Um but what I what I most like about Wrong Turn is the fact that it is a tight 84-minute movie. It doesn't waste any time. <laughs> it gets right into it. And like you said about Rambo, like that's the type of movie you want to see. You want to see a tight 90-minute, 84-minute movie, and Wrong Turn delivers in that way. If they don't take any time getting right to it, you know, showing the opening kills on the rock formation and then getting to Devin Harrington trying to go through West Virginia to get to an interview because he's a doctor. Yeah, and, you know, again, like, we joke about the whole, like, if this was an elevated movie, they would be getting into this and that. Like, no, this movie knows what it is. It knows that, you know, you want to see girls in tight shirts. 
The guys are all good looking. You know, like if you're a guy, those are the guys you want to be. You know, if you're a girl, those are the girls you want to be. The guys want to bang the girls. The girls want to bang the guys. The girls want to bang the girls. And, well, I don't want to bang any of the guys, but I'm sure there are guys out there that want to. So, you know, more power to you. Um, you (laughs) It's like you said, sprinkle in a little bit of deliverance and some some Kentucky goodness uh, or West Virginia goodness, and you're good to go. Um, You know, it's fun, yeah. uh, You get Desmond Harrington. He comes off as a real dick. At the earlier part, you know, you, oh, yeah. as you get yep. to know the character more and more, you, you find out that he's not. But, you know, like the ghoul girl made a great point, I thought, because it was something that I felt watching this the first time around. Okay. I felt like he was going to end up being one of the villains. Like he was going to tie back okay. to being like a bad guy in some way. You know, especially with the way he was introduced and his, his just his personality and behavior in general. You know, he just felt like he was going to be that twist character that somehow you find is related to these guys or something, huh. you know? I would have liked that. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a really cool twist <clears throat> for the movie, which is also, I forgot to mention at the top, this is actually written by Alan B. McElroy, who wrote Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, just to put a timestamp on what McElroy's been doing. Well, the better so, of those movies at yeah. that time. The better of the Halloween movies, so he and then he wrote Wrong Turn. Uh, but yeah, no, the the one thing that tripped me up, which actually I wouldn't say the better of the Halloween movies. Obviously, the first Halloween <sighs> is the only one that's fantastic. It's the well, better of that trek of sequels. Yes, four, five, mm-hmm. and six. That Jamie storyline that is the best of those three. Yes, of course. But like I said, if you're talking about quality of the movie, uh, Halloween four, I think at least with the story. Is, is better than the rest of the sequels that we got, especially because he wrote it in 10 days because there was a writer's strike, and he had 10 days to write that. And the fact that he delivered something that was actually fucking good to bring Michael back into the world. But, um, yeah, I honestly thought that the gas station attendant was going to be the trope, where it's going to be him being the one to lead people, like in The Hills of Ice. You know, he's going to lead these people to the cannibal family to be victims. But instead, he's really not. He's kind of afraid of them. And he doesn't want people to go that way because when Desmond goes, well, I could just go through here. Uh, I, well, his character name is Chris. So I just call him Chris. But when he's saying, I could just cut across about 15 miles. And he goes, look, you're going to need some blood, boy. Because <laughs> he knows what's out there. He's not warning him. He's not leading him. He's just saying, that guy's fucked. <laughs> you know, well, I think it's, I think it's similar to the gas station guy in 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 Hills Have Eyes. Um, I don't. I think you know. Obviously, you get the the little give and take where you know he asks him. You know, are you making fun of me? Essentially, you know, right. and mm-hmm. you know, no. Obviously, he knows shit's going down around there. He's just not part of it. He's not warning him. I don't think he's afraid of him because he's got no reason to be. He's been there for however long he's been there at that <laughs> gas station. You know, they're out in the woods doing what they've been doing, and we see some of the cars that are around that damn oh, yeah. that damn hut, which, you know, I think when you take – and obviously, you know, I don't think we'll ever cover any of the sequels of this series, so I think no, we can throw, like, so. little things – little things yeah, in there with absolutely. it. I think I yeah. thought one of the things that they were dropping when you saw some of the cars specifically, there was like a, what looked like like a 1940s style, yeah. like Ford 
model around yes. there. I thought they were trying to say, like, these guys have been around here for ages and have been doing it. So when I watched uh, part four, I think, was Bloody Beginnings, and you find mm-hmm. out, like, you know, <clears throat> these were some kids in a mental institution. I don't know. I guess what? That movie started in, like, the 70s or something? or the, I don't even know yeah. when that movie took place. I don't remember because they didn't – I don't remember. If they gave me a year, I don't remember it. I do know that out of all the sequels that I've seen so far, four was the best one. So you can avoid two. I think, what, three had Henry Rollins in it? Um, two did. Two had uh, Henry Rollins. Two did. Uh, he's somewhat enjoyable in the movie, but aside from that, that one kind of sucked. Three, I don't even remember. That's how bad it was. But four was it's fun, so man. Yeah. It's it so starts passable. with fucking. It starts at like hardcore fucking. It's like a porn when it starts off, man. This guy on oh, girl, girl on girl. That has the most dude, sex fucking, out of all the movies. What did it's great. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's such a fun movie, and yeah, I believe it was the seventies, uh, like you were talking about in Boy Beginnings. But they don't put a year on it. But I felt like they were trying to say it was the seventies. But I, that to me, that one is the one that I had the most fun with. Was uh, Bloody Beginnings. The other ones, like you had said, they're passable. I like part two because it was directed by Joe Lynch, and I'm a fan of his because of Mayhem and because of Everly and Nights of Bad Aston, which I think is his best movie, even though he doesn't like to talk about that one. That's the, the LARPing movie that he did with Peter Diglidge and Ryan Quantum yes. and True Blood. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it because <laughs> it's I fucking have. killer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, we have him, uh, Chris taking the shortcut through Bear Mountain Road. And he ends up driving down this road, and his uh, CD skips with playing a very 2003 song. I don't even know what it was. I'm like, that's just so 2003. Um, he drops the CD in his car. That's your first kind of false scare where you think he's going to crash into something, and he doesn't. But then he looks at the deer on the side of the road and crashes into a car. And then we get to meet the rest of our characters in this movie, which is led by Jeremy Sisto, uh, who plays Scott. Who I fucking love. I love Jeremy Sisto. He's been in so many great movies. And I don't think he gets enough credit because he was in Clueless and he was in um, May, which is another one of my favorite movies. I always like seeing him when he shows up. Six feet under. Yeah. That's what I always think of for Jeremy Sisto. Nailed it. Um, like, I know he was in Clueless. He was Elton. You know, he was the one uh, rolling yep. with the homies, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I get it. That's like all fun and games. You know, the fun thing about Jeremy Sisto you know, he's one of those actors that I always feel like is, like, just on the cusp of, like, hitting something, like, really big. But then he never, like, takes that next step into that. Like, he prefers to keep everything, like, very low-key. He picks the roles that he wants to play. You know, everything's always, like, independent or, like, if it is, like, you know, I guess during this time he was doing stuff that was, like, a little bit, in like the the mainstream but for the most part he's always playing like a character that's not the lead even though he Mm -hmm. can easily do that you know and yeah i don't know why that is i don't know if that's by choice or maybe he's got an issue with with people in hollywood i don't know it could be i mean like i said i just i enjoy him and i enjoyed him here uh playing the the fiance carly played by emmanuel shiriki who i i i've never had a crush on emmanuel shiriki but i like her like whenever I, I see how you her, say her shoes. last name, I, I have Shereke. no idea how to say her last name, dude. I, have, uh, I, I had such hots for this chick, man. Throughout the late 90s, 
Yeah, that one, and you know any number of other things. Like I think she was even wasn't she in that uh that show on Entourage? HBO Entourage. Yes, yep, she you was. Know, yeah, like I, that's how much I followed her. You know what I mean? Like I know yeah. it was in Detroit Rock City, Snow oh, Day, yeah. yep. Hundred Girls. Yeah, Adam National. She was in a movie, National Lampoon's Adam and Eve. Like I literally watched it just because she did it. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, like I know mm-hmm. she plays one of the hairdressers in Zohan. Um, and this yeah, is just the things that I can think of off the top right. of my head. Mm-hmm. That's right. She was in Zohan. I forgot about that one. But we also get introduced to uh, Elijah Dutch's character, Jesse, which is actually a take on Gerald's Game by Stephen King. That's who her character's uh, name is based off of. That's a little trivia bit. For you at home, you want to know that character's name was based off of the main character in Gerald's Game, which had the Netflix uh, series with uh, uh, Carlo. Uh, what I can't remember. Carlo Gugino. Carlo something. That's it. Carlo yes, Gugino, dude, so hot. Yeah, yeah son um, in dude. Oh, oh I love that fucking movie. <laughs> so good. I'm crawl, dude. <laughs> um, dude. We also have, uh, yeah. Ah, God, I thought he's Carl Milk in the Cow. Dude, Paulie Shore had that stretch of films, man, from like, yeah, I guess yep. what? You had uh, Encino Man, you had that. In the Army Now? Like a couple, yes, there's like a couple couple good films that like hit that thing where they were, they're not great movies by any stretch, but they're no. just entertaining, you know? And it was yep. just Paulie Shore doing what Paulie Shore did, which was just be fucking Paulie Shore. <laughs> yeah, they were just vehicles for him to be Pauly Shore. Like the character he was playing, it doesn't matter what the character's name is; he's just Pauly Shore. And he was you crawl, love it you know, he was stony <laughs> and Encino man, yeah. you know. Like he's always a, he always seemed like a stoner, but yet you've never actually seen the character ever do a drug in any no. of the movies. None, not a single one. I've never seen him smoke a joint or hit a bong or drop acid. But he's always a but stoner. Like, he's always like the weird hippie. But that's gotta be that's the character he's playing, you know what I mean? Like come on, his character in this <laughs> yeah. moment is stony. He walks around <laughs> talking about, you know, Betty Nugs and wheezing the juice, you know, no wheezing the wheezing juice is so stony. Buddy. <laughs> I'm the Rizzo. Ow! <laughs> you know, and he never does it. Biodome, I forgot to mention that one. Fuck, I forgot about Biodome. Biodome, wow, with fucking <laughs> Stephen Baldwin, man. Prior to him yeah. going all holier than now. Oh, Talk yeah, about a fucking complete, complete 180, man. That dude went from, yeah. like, I'm going to be a pervy stoner to, to Kurt fucking, what's his name, man? From, from that show that I used to like. See for family. <laughs> Growing pains. <laughs> Growing pains. Kurt, yeah. Was it, uh, Kurt Cameron. Kurt Cameron. Yes. Yeah, who went complete, you know, I love Jesus now, and that's who I am. He's not Mike Seaver anymore. <laughs> no, um, no. Well, now he's the lead character in uh, in the Left Behind movies. Yeah. Oh, those, and, and there's another one called Saving Christmas. If you want to laugh for a solid hour and a half, watch Surviving uh, the Saving Christmas. With him in it, it's like fucking absurd. Like that this is a movie. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> Saving Christmas is nice. like my favorite one. And it's just so absurd because it's so hardcore for Christians and this is our faith. And it's just him trying to be funny for an hour and a half and it just fails. Like it's so oh. bad. 
But, Listen, I loved um, Growing Pains growing up, man, as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was one of my favorite shows. Like I, I would try to tune in, watch it when it was on, you know, when it was live. Yeah, but I even it. when it wasn't oh, yeah. and it was in syndication, I used to just watch it religiously. Um, so it was kind of like as I, as I grew up and got older – it was like, you know, Kirk, Kirk Cameron was one of those those people who I figured, you know, I'm going to be following him throughout his career. And then it was <laughs> yep. like, yeah, no, 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 I'm not. Not going to happen. No. And speaking of Sid Haig, he actually did have a cameo on Growing Pains as a janitor in the later season. <laughs> did he really? When, yeah, when Ben Seaver has a fantasy about being the coolest kid in high school, Sid Haig shows up as a janitor to give him a high five and smile at him. <laughs> out there. Hey and, Ben, you want some <laughs> fucking chicken? <laughs> it just tastes so damn good. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I, I wish I still saved that screenshot that I had. I sent it to a friend of mine not that long ago, where I'm like, Sid Haig, he's a growing page. <laughs> he's a janitor. Captain Spaulding's nice. in this. Um, it was like Vader showing movie. up in fucking uh, what do you call it, man? Uh, Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World. Yeah, well, he had a recurring character on that show. It wasn't yeah, even like it was, it was one fucking, episode. Well, he was Ethan, Ethan Suckley's dad. dad. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he was Frankie's dad. And they actually had the one match against him and Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where Corey had to go between the party for Topanga and the match. <laughs> <laughs> decisions, decisions, man. God, <laughs> yeah. life was hard in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, character-wise, we also get introduced to, like I said, Jesse, Elijah Dushku, and then also fake Peter Fonda, played by Evan. The character name is Evan. Who those stupid fucking glasses he was wearing and his haircut? I'm like, he's just trying to be like Peter Fonda in the 70s. <laughs> like, you know yeah, what? The Google girl saw him. him, and she was like, you know what? He's he's hot if he would lose the glasses. Yeah. But you know what's Probably. funny about him? And his girlfriend Francine is they go on Dawn after this to be boyfriend and girlfriend in Dawn of the Dead. Yep. You know, and, yeah. and she is the character that I hate in that damn movie. Oh yeah. yeah. Everything goes wrong because of her and her fucking issues with loss and going after that fucking dog. Mm-hmm. And but in long term she was smoking hot. <laughs> you know, I, I have a thing for redheads. And in this movie, with her and Evan, you know, the fact that they want to get their fuck on when you have Evan and Jesse and Scott uh, and his fiance leaving to go find help. Um, I love when she's going through uh, Evan, uh, Chris's bag. And she's like, nope, no food in here. Mm-mm-mm. Nope, he didn't have anything. He didn't have cigarettes. <laughs> Good taste in music. Yeah, well, no, she didn't even like the music that he had, and they were running out of cigarettes. She said he has no smokes, and, you know, she grabbed, like, her <laughs> back or whatever. But, yeah, uh, I, yeah no, it was it was funny, though, because we did joke that that would be me and me and the cool girl. We would have been the ones who would be yeah. like, all right, you know what? We've seen too many horror movies. The rest the of you guys just go on ahead. <laughs> you go you go ahead. We're going to go through this dude's car, except we wouldn't have stayed there. We just would have no. went in the opposite direction of where everybody else was going. Yeah, you know, because, yeah, it seems like a good idea to just kind of let everybody else go into the fucking creepy woods, and I'm going to stay behind with my hot girlfriend. We're going to fuck, and then we're going to go through everybody's bag and fucking look through whatever is there. Great plan. But like you said, they stayed in that same place, and that's what leads to their demise. Uh, you don't well, see why did the others here. Why mm-hmm. did the others go in the opposite direction of the gas station? 
That's what I don't understand. If you know because he said there was no well, phone there. It doesn't matter. There's still people yeah. in that direction. You still, oh, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? He saw on the map how long that road is. It's not like he doesn't know that that road is ridiculously long, and it's completely out of the way to the point that it's a dotted line road oh, yeah. Yeah. on a map. Thing. You, you yeah. don't go that way. You go in no. the other direction. That's why I said they, they did drop that line that Chris says is that the gas station doesn't have a phone, so we have to look elsewhere. So agreed. I agree with your point. But in terms of the movie, that's the reason why they don't go in that direction. And that's why they leave uh, the couple, Chris, uh, Evan and Francine, behind to get killed by the mutants. We don't see Evan get killed. We just see his ear with all the fucking douchebag piercings that he has on the side of his head. And then uh, Francine getting attacked by the barbed wire. It's a great quick kill. But what happens later with her is even better. <laughs> you know, what they decide to do with her post-death. Um, the one thing that I really did laugh about with this movie, and I had a great time with it, is when you have the group walking on in the forest and they're looking at things and checking things out, their stoic responses to things, especially Chris and Jesse, when they see the fire and they're like, yes, that must mean something. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't just help but laugh at their just stupid fucking responses. Just seeing things and just wide eyes, like, yep, that that means people were here. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> there's a fire there. Yeah, they're, probably not they're gonna there. There's fire. So yes, the, you know what? There's smoke. That means there must be fire. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just I love the interactions with um, Jeremy Sisto and Emmanuel Shariki as they're walking. Um, Scott and Carly talking about their upcoming wedding. Where all of a sudden Scott turns into Jeff Goldblum for like a quick second. Like, yes, uh, yes, yes, very much. Uh, Frank Sinatra, and uh, you know uh, we could have that, but uh, I, I think that you know since there is only one uh, guy that we should, you know, it's like he's going all out with his Jeff Goldblum impression. He's like, there is only listen, one guy. Listen, he is. That's I, I know it's Goldblum esque. Um, it is, it is. It's what Jeff Goldblum has done his entire career. Um, (laughs) but it is also what I've kind of seen Sisto do, like, you know, pretty much throughout his career as well. With like the, again, with that, with the exception of like Clueless in which he barely has any lines anyway. You know, he always kind of plays this smarmy, you know, like a, not to not to make it be like a racist thing, but he's got like that smarmy, like Jewish quality about him. You know, mm-hmm. that just yeah. just seems to fit him. It's how he is. It's his natural character. And you know, like again, similar to how I look at Ben Affleck based on what I've seen him do in the Kevin Smith films. So like for me, <laughs> yeah. I, I just picture Ben Affleck as just being a douchebag all the time. This is how I picture like if I was to run into Jeremy Sisto somewhere. This is exactly the behaviors and mannerisms that I would expect of him so if he was to not act or be in this way i think i would be heavily disappointed similar to how i was with chris marquette and me met at at monster mania that one time oh yeah yep um because i just love that line i love the line though when the crash happens at first and you have chris saying i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i will pay for everything the damage it's on me i'm so sorry and you have Scott Macker going, the man said he'll pay for everything. It's fine. Oh, well, you kind of fucked up my bike, though. 
<laughs> like seeing his own personal property fucked up. Now he's like, all right, so you're going to have to pay for the bike too. <laughs> well, I love that if you, if you put it on the subtitles, right, one of them, one of the girls, I think it was, said something along the lines of like drunken hillbilly assholes or, or something to that effect. Like whatever it was, it was like a really obnoxious line, like especially considering your car is perpendicular to the road. It's not like their truck was like in a lane. There, nope, it was like keyed in the freaking road <laughs> yep, itself, it man. Like he smashed yep. into the side of it. And like yeah. I get that we see that they got the barbed wire around their tire and all that, but still, like you don't think to say, hey, let's at least try to move the vehicle out of the roadway. Though again, you would also expect somebody driving down the road to be paying attention and and not crash into the side of your car, being that your car is this big vehicle, <laughs> which does, big does make you wonder too, you know, considering that. He put the CD, he got the CD, he looked back up, he looked at the road. It's not like they yeah. were around a bend or anything like that. Nope. Like, how did he see away. them that far ahead of him? Yeah, it made no sense. When he adjusted that mirror, like, he would have seen the end of that car sticking out in the middle of the road. It was a straightaway. But he doesn't, that's why he hits it. But when they find the, the house, the big shack that the mutants that we find out in the movie live in, you know, they're going through the house in typical fashion and looking at everything. They're finding the car keys of all these different vehicles. It's like, at some point you got to say, we got to go. Like, this is not someplace we want to be, but Emmanuel Sharifi for some reason needs to use the bathroom. It's, you're not going to use the bathroom in this place. Like, just like uh, Scott says, this whole place is a bathroom. <laughs> it's, you know, I, me, like I said, putting my own logic in it, like you had said earlier, about you and the cool girl, I'm not staying in that fucking place. I'm leaving. Like this isn't some place that's going to be safe. No, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, listen, no matter what, you know, when, you, when you're that far deep in, in that territory, you can't stay. You, chances are you're not going to see another vehicle. Not a, it's just like what we saw in nope. the Hills Have Eyes. You know, again, you got to start moving. You got to go in a direction, whether it's one or the other. You know, my argument is you go towards the gas station, not in the other direction, but whatever. Yeah. They're in West Virginia. Like, I've been to West Virginia. I've never been to the mountains of West Virginia. I mean, I've been no. to West Virginia University, you know. I hung out at the college mm-hmm. there. My buddy Craig went to school there. It's uh, it's a beautiful state. Um, yeah. You know, like the, the the woods and whatnot that I did get to see, yeah, they're, they're deep, they're thick, but I don't know what it would feel like to be just lost in the middle of nowhere there, you know. Like, I, I felt that being up in Maine at various times. I remember one particular time we uh, – we went the wrong way on the highway and uh, didn't branch off and go through Massachusetts the way we were supposed to. And instead we just kept mm. going North up through Vermont, got about halfway into Vermont when we realized that we missed our turn off. And I don't know, it was like two, three o'clock in the morning. And now we're trekking across going East, you know, through Vermont to get into Maine. So we're taking all these weird back roads. This is before GPS. So, you know, basically I had to pull the map out of the glove compartment, identify where we were, figure out, you know, what roads it were that I had to take. And we had my, my, my son at the time, he was only, I don't know, a year old, maybe mm-hmm. two tops. And well, you know, like any, any baby in that, that regard, he took a nice big shit. 
So oh, no. pulling over on the side of the road in the pitch black in the middle of like Maine somewhere at that point, thinking nothing more than serial killers and bears are gonna smell this shit. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so in my head, I'm thinking, wow, a serial killer's gonna smell this baby shit and come sneak up on me and fucking try to take me out and take this kid. You know, they like, take my wife, go ahead. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I'm don't, don't take my baby, not my baby, yeah. please. Not my baby. <laughs> you know. I'm running with the baby. You can take her. That's all you got. Yeah, I'm getting out of here, though. (laughs) Enjoy. Keep the car. And that's what you would think about with these people, these people in the the cabin that they're in, especially when the mutants show up, uh, Sawtooth and Three Fingers and the other mutants uh, that come in. All right, we got to fucking go. But, of course, the back door is blocked, so they can't get out, so they have to hide and basically just kind of wait for their chance. And that's where you get to see the dismemberment of uh, Francine, you know, where they're just having a great time fucking beating up his body because they're going to have a full meal. And then they show the nap afterwards. I love the fact that these mutants are just so full from eating his body that they're all passed out. So it gives these people a chance to escape. Um, the one thing I had a problem with was the, the door jam. As they're leaving the cabin to escape, they don't want that door jam to make any fucking noise. So Chris reaches up and grabs it and then starts bleeding. I just – I don't know how he would start bleeding from that. I tried to picture it. I was like, maybe it's crushing his skin, but I don't know. If you got a good grip on that, I think it wouldn't cut into you that bad. I mean – I don't know. You know what? I've, I've been I've been cut by barbed wire before. Um. Right? That's what we're talking about? I'm sorry. I was like zoned out for a minute there. No, the the, the top of the door like that circular kind of thing on top of the door so it doesn't make noise, that screen door as they're walking out. Oh, Chris the grabs it so it doesn't make sound. Yeah, I mean, I, the spring is not going to – okay. The spring's not going to slice into you. Right. it's not yep. sharpened metal. Nope. Now, can it no, cut you? Yeah, obviously the pressure of the spring could cut you. Um you know, but again, I would think that what it would require to do that would be a little bit more than what we get there. I would think at the most, being that I, I've obviously had plenty of things, you know, not only squeezed, but also cut into my hand over the years. I don't think you're getting mm-hmm. cut and bleeding like that from that. But no, more to the point, no. man, I'm sorry. You watch this fucking thing dismember one of your friends, man. You know, <laughs> one, he's got a gun laying right on his belly. There's all kinds of weapons there. I'm not fucking sneaking out of that place. I am taking that gun or taking whatever the fuck I can find and bashing that thing's brain yep. in so that it does not come after me. That's called yep. self-defense, man. Yeah. I had a problem with it, just like you said. You know, they're sleeping. They're passed the fuck out. They're all snoring. There's plenty of fucking weapons in this fucking house. You're going to tell me that you're not just going to fucking bash your brains in? At this point, you know, Listen, you know, no, you, you don't want to kill. Uh, you know, I know there's the whole flight and the the fight and flight mechanic, and you know, psychologists yeah. and psychiatrists can sit there and argue that all they want. All I know is if I'm in a situation of that nature, you know, which I never will be because I've seen too many nope. movies like this. But <laughs> again, regardless. You know what? Motherfucker's going to be dead. Or I'm going to be dead. One one way or the other. I'm not running because, you know what? You run, you're going to die. If yeah, I've got yeah. an advantage, and I'm taking said advantage. Because we see this plan that they have, and it backs the fuck fires. Because once we, what we had talked about with the pit of cars, 
that they find, and the cannibals are hot in their tail because they discovered they were leaving their home. When they get there, you have Pris deciding he's going to create a diversion. He ends up getting shot in the leg. So now he's laying on the ground, shot, and trying to figure out how he's going to get out of the situation. And then all of a sudden, Spat decides, hey, baby, I love you so much. We're going to get married, but diversion time, motherfuckers. Hey, hey, guys, run after me, everybody. You know, I'm running into the fucking woods to create the second diversion so they could pick up fucking Chris and carry him away into the woods. Well, that's the problem, that Chris got shot. If Chris Mm -hmm. didn't get shot, he wouldn't have had to create the second diversion. You know, if Chris didn't get shot, Chris would have ran off in the woods. They would have went off after him. But Chris obviously wasn't getting anywhere because that dude's a crack shot. Funky face (laughs) and all, shitty old rifle and all. Dude, he knew exactly where to wing him, man. He wasn't going oh, yeah. he wasn't going for the kill. He took out nope, that leg, man. Just injure him. Just to injure him. Just so he could take him away like a deer. You know, like you want to injure that deer, you can do it. But yeah, crack shot like you had said. But that like you said, it leads to Scott running off into the woods in the opposite direction to create the secondary diversion. And then he gets filled with arrows Robin Hood style. Like just completely gutted by these arrows. I we even Carly to see it happen. I love Scott's death. You know, the three of them oh, get so in the good. car, they get away they yep. get away from the giggling guy. Um three you know, and they <laughs> they they're driving away, they're looking for Scott. Scott's running through the woods and you know, just as uh they see him, Carly's calling for him and you hear the noise and you know, mm-hmm. you see Scott kinda like pause a little bit, but then he starts moving towards them again and then you hear the sound again. And then you see the third one that goes completely through his chest and out the other side, right through the heart. But just that whole, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, I just enjoy the way he performs it. Like, that first one getting him, it's like he knew something was wrong, but not the full extent of it, you know? Like, ah, maybe Mm -hmm. it was just like, you know, a stick or something clipped me, but I'm I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And then with each subsequent one, he just, like, seemed to know that he was more and more fucked. And I think that comes through with Sisto's performance. Like, the faces that he's making, the body Mm -hmm. movement and everything to where he's finally dropping down. Yep. Yeah, the breathing was a huge part of it for me. Uh, like you said, the faces. But what I have to give a lot of credit to Emmanuel Shariki, who plays Carly in this movie, I loved her post Scott's death reactions because she goes through every fucking phase, you know, where she's just crying hysterically and saying, I want him back. Like, I want him back. You know, I love him so much to fucking hysterically laughing at one point because she's mentally fucking cracked. Like, this broke her. Like, that's it. She's done. Yeah, shock, just mental break. I'm out of this thing. Like, I'm not going to be any help to anybody because I'm done. Like, you know, they might as well just kill me because I have nothing to offer. Like, I I don't care anymore. Like, I just thought it was so brilliant on her part to play it that way. Yeah. No. Again, I think she. uh, I think she was great with it, and you know, that's it's just lending towards. Again, actors and actresses for a horror film, mm-hmm. the people they have in this movie are actually all quality, and you don't always get that. Sometimes you'll get a no, movie you like this where you get maybe one person, two people, but to actually have good quality for all your main roles, that's that's saying something. You know, somebody somebody in the casting department here knew what they were looking at when they were looking at these people. Yeah, they all did the job. They all did a great job. 
Um, but again, they make stupid fucking decisions. <clears throat> they find the park ranger tower in the woods and they decide they're going to climb up into that and see if there's a radio, see if they could find help somehow. To me, that's like the worst possible decision you could fucking make when you have these cannibals hunting after you because you're now in a tower that's made of wood. They can't find torches and they can't burn it down. Yeah, they fucking can and they do. <laughs> so to me, being in that tower was the worst decision they made in the entire movie. Because you're fucking. Well, no, yourself. I mean, no. Listen, the fact is, is up at that tower was a radio. Up in that mm-hmm. tower was a, a first aid kit. The mistakes they made in the tower, one, were lighting up the glow sticks. Because I'm sorry, oh, yeah. but when you're yep. in the pitch black woods like that and you light something up, it stands out big time. Obviously, yeah. the other big mistake is keeping the radio on at yep. that, that volume. Yeah. But really, for me, the biggest mistake they made was when they did get spotted. Why would you not kick the damn ladder down? Why yeah, wouldn't you yep, have gone through absolutely. the hatch, gone down the damn thing, or at least throw something down at them so they can't climb up the ladder? They wouldn't have been able to light the damn thing on fire. It's not like the poles that were holding it up were wood. <laughs> yeah. You know, or that's going to be a metal structure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, it was just poor planning because when they start lighting it up, um, and they have to realize they have to escape, so they jump out of the window on the trees. That's something. Oh my God, are you are you really doing this? Like, because at one point Jesse falls through the trees. I'm like, her ribs are broken. <laughs> the way she hits that tree, I'm like that's it. <laughs> Internal bleeding. Chris's jump, and then yeah, Emmanuel Shariqui's jump, and then yes, Jesse's jump is the one that's like the most absurd out of them all. At least the other ones jump like straight so that if you're going to hit the tree, you're going to hit it on your belt. Like she decides to do like a, I'm going to jump like sideways slash backwards because somehow that's going to be a better way to land on these gigantic tree stumps. This is my least favorite part of this movie. And this this stood out to me even back then seeing it. Like, listen, you're in West Virginia. These are fucking pine trees, man. At the most, and I looked this up, you know, the Google girl's like, you know what, before you say anything, you should look this kind of stuff up, you know, because otherwise you're going to open your mouth and somebody's going to write in or say something and be like, you're a dick, ghoul, because this is what it really was like. Like, look, man, these pines, there's like four or five different styles of pines in West Virginia. The the, the largest one, its trunk yeah. only goes to like three to four feet diameter. And that's the trunk. Mm. You know, so you're not going to have branches that are way up in the freaking trees that you're walking across that, you know, that are, this isn't California. If this was California and these were the redwoods, like what we see in like uh, the, the Planet of the Apes movie and stuff like that, different story. Those things are gigantic. Mm-hmm. Those trees are so big, fucking cars drive through them and stuff like that. Those things are going to have limbs and branches that, yes, a human being can walk across. Not some simple fucking pine tree, man. Just doesn't work that way. No. Um, but after they try to escape to the trees with three fingers and sawtooth and the other one after them, uh, it did lead to my other favorite death of the movie, and that's Carly, Emmanuel Shriki's character, who is trying to get across that one wooden beam, you know, in the uh, in the treetops. Can't get across it because three fingers chops her right in the mouth, and you see the head detached from the body. And the body falls down all the way to the ground. Like it was such a great effect. 
just to see that. Yeah. No, well, this is, um again, 2003. Obviously, Stan, CGI has been mind around. You? It's been a while. It's been around for a while. But, you know, I like her death. I like how they do it. I like the style of it. But this is the second time that we get these, like, digital effect close-ups of mm-hmm. her eye. The other time yep. we got it was through the doorknob, and, like, that looks that so bad, because it looks <laughs> yep. like you can totally see it's like a whole other level of film quality on the other side of the yep. door, on the, 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 the keyhole. You know, so once again, we get that close-up of the eye, but, yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's just a chunk, funk, and then her body just goes tumbling down, and then the head finally slides off, and and now we've now we've got two. Now we've got two that are running to a cave that they find that's hidden behind a waterfall, so they could avoid detection from the three cannibals that they're chasing after them. And then they take that moment that I really didn't feel like this movie needed, where you have this moment between Jesse and Chris, where she says, "Yeah, you know what happened was." My boyfriend decided to call me one day, and he said, I don't want to be with you anymore. And then what happened? All my friends came to my rescue, and they said, let's go into the woods and have a weekend. I'm like, I, I don't need to know that much backstory. <laughs> I just, uh, all right. Well, we, and then he's caressing her face. I'm like, uh, don't kiss. Don't kiss. Well, the, this isn't a the movie. funny thing is, yes, I mean, it's obviously kind of hinting at a romance and whatnot between the two of them. Because, come on, we can't have two leads like this and not have them. Fucking, they're pretty people. They need to make pretty babies. But actually, <laughs> yeah. if you're paying attention, the funny thing is I think they could have left out all of this on her end. Other yep. than, you know, maybe they were trying to give her character for, for remorse sake. But they actually paid attention to dialogue earlier in the film. Francine and Evan were actually talking about this. They were discussing well, okay, about that. her breaking up with the boyfriend. And then he said, well, why don't well, you know, why didn't we go do something else or go somewhere else? And she's like, well, you know her. She likes camping. So and obviously okay. we know that everybody else has got their partner. You know, the only person that's here alone is Jesse. So Jesse is the one that they had to come and take and take her camping because she likes to go camping. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, if you talk about your friends doing something for you, you know, especially if with a breakup like that, you want to make her happy. So it's good to see that they all came to her rescue. I just felt like it's too little too late in this movie to bring us that much backstory about the whole thing. Like you said, I missed that line of dialogue, you know, with Evan and Francine talking about it. Um, but in the morning, when you think, okay, we're going to find another way to get out of here, the mutants come back once uh, Evan and Jesse find the road, and they just have to go down this little slope. That's when uh, Jesse gets taken by the mutants, and they knock Evan off the hill, where he eventually finds the one cop in the entire fucking town driving through it at the right moment. Just well, no, to be driving on this road. No, remember, he's one of the park rangers. They got, they got somebody on the radio. Cop. I said, okay. No, okay. and he says You're to right. him at You're that right. time, yep. he goes, are you, the, are you the ones that we had on the radio? And then, but I love this, because this is one of those, like, classic, <laughs> yeah. you think yep. that, you know what, okay, here's yep. another character that's getting brought in, and then, nope, these hillbillies, they don't give a shit, they're going to take out the right cops. The fuck out. It's, like when, it's like when Jason does it in the Friday the 13th remake. Yep. You know, you get the cop, and you're figuring, oh, okay, you know, you figure the cop's going to die, but you at least figure something's going to go down with them prior, nope, it's just, nope, you're dead, dude. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. It was so great because I loved it because it's such a good jump scare. When he's like, what the fuck is going on? All of a sudden, that arrow goes right through his fucking eye, and he falls to the ground, which leads mm-hmm. to that other great trope of horror movies when Chris jumps into the, the car and the keys are gone. Fuck. <laughs> I love horror movies because everybody has to take the keys out of the ignition for some reason once they get out of the know. car. I can't leave them in. Got to take them out. I always, I always take my keys out <laughs> of the ignition. Mm-hmm. But you would think that this is happening so fast because Chris ran in front of the car that he's not going to have time to take the keys out of the ignition. He's going to jump out of the car and go, what the fuck? You know, what are you jumping in front of the car for? But no, he took him out. And when he dies, they're laying right at his side. But it doesn't give Chris enough time to grab the keys because the mutants are on top of that fucking body, and they're going to bring it home for some stew. So, fuck Chris, that. I want the gun. action fuck fucking hero. I want the gun. <laughs> I know. But again, Chris, action fucking hero, he manages to fucking grab onto the undercarriage of the car and just ride it back to the fucking cabin. <laughs> You're a fucking doctor. <laughs> You're a fucking, you know, it's your fucking douchebag doctor. You're not fucking grabbing on the underside of that car. Listen, man, you know what? I'm an HVAC technician, okay? And I'm going to tell you this right now. Do you see what she looks like? Jesse's fucking hot, dude. And at this yeah. point, this guy's thinking to himself, you know what? This is the hottest chick I'm probably ever going to get a chance to bang. You know, why Why don't I go for this? I might as well try to rescue her. Worst case scenario, I go there, I die. You know, somewhere in the middle, I go there, I see that all hope is lost, and I just leave. And you know what? She's beat. She's screwed. Best case scenario, I'm going to get some great sex. Might even oh, marry you know she's bitch. fucking the couple, shit out of him. <laughs> put a couple yeah. babies in her, dude. Trophy <laughs> yeah. wife. You're good to go. Yeah, she is giving him all the sex. <laughs> to get out of this. Like, she is not sparing one expense. Because her boyfriend just broke up with her, and this guy just fucking risked his fucking life for me. He doesn't even know me. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's getting everything. He's getting fucking blowjobs for life. He doesn't even have uh, to want I mean, it. Listen, getting it. The reality is he might not even need to marry her, man. He might just get the sex nope. for saving her and for her having the breakup. You know what I mean? He might just be the rebound sex. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's going to be fucking awesome? Um, but you get to see Jesse tied up in the bed, which, again, sexy. You know, I was like, all right, Very nice. I know I should feel bad, but man, hot. <laughs> you know. I, I know I should feel bad about this, but you know, I just can't help but jerk off. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to fucking take a moment by myself and just end sequence. And I'm going to have me some alone time with her tied up in the one <laughs> fucking one eye, putting the knife to her throat. She's like, no, my goodness, it's kind of hot. Continue, <laughs> I just movie. Spoiled, I just soiled my boxer briefs. <laughs> <laughs> my good pair, my one good pair. Damn it! Fuck you, wrong turn. <laughs> um, one good pair. Shit, <laughs> I ain't got no good pairs. They all got holes. And, all got holes and stains. There's a reason why they're holding them fucking panties. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, um, well, he hitches right underneath the truck. And while Jesse's bound and gagged on the bed, Chris drives through the building with that car, hitting one eye, the other mutant, who I kept forgetting his fucking name. I'm glad I remembered it because one eye, because he had that one opaque eye, takes him out, and that leads him to a fight to the death with Sawtooth and Three Fingers. And why the fuck was I die? And I was like, yeah, goddammit. Like, these are fucking superhuman mutants. Like, they just keep getting hit, and they keep coming. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Again, what we end up finding out 
in Bloody Beginnings is that they've got like a like a specific like disorder, like genetic disorder that doesn't allow them to feel pain. I forget what the the technical name was for it, but that is what you find out. You find out that these three fucking mongoloids with their their own language, they're called the Hillier the Hillier brothers because they were found by a Mrs. Hillier. Um, yeah, the Hill family. You know, yeah, the Hill, you're right. That that that, mm-hmm. that is what they are, and that is what they do. And then they proceed to to electroshock therapy, the the semi cute redhead, and kill everybody else while letting out every single maniac in this mental asylum. So again, you know, you want a fun time. You want to watch a stupid fun movie. It's a fun, you watch fun part movie. four. Yeah, it really it is. is. It's really it's it's dumb, but it is so fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so great. Yeah, because I actually saw it, and then you said you saw it, and I'm like, I'm glad, because that's the best entry in this series. I'm not even talking about part one, which we're talking about tonight. Uh, but they realize that the only way they're going to be able to destroy these three people are to blow up the fucking cabin, have that one big explosion, and then we're just going to get the fuck out of here in their truck and go back to the gas station at the beginning of the movie with uh, the gas station attendant Maynard, uh, Maynard who sees that – see, again, this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode – when he sees that truck coming, he goes, oh, shit. And he runs inside the gas station because he's afraid of these people. Like, that's why I mm. tried to say at the beginning of the episode. He knows who these people are. He can't do anything about them, but he's terrified of these people. Okay, you know what? That's right. I forgot about that part. But, uh, but yeah, he is, he is he's hiding when they – yeah, because he peeks out the window. So when he sees that truck rolling up, he does know, he does know who it is. Oh, yeah. He's fully aware. That that yellow pickup truck belongs to the fucking mutants. So that's why he runs inside and then he closes the blinds and looks through. But who gets out is Chris, you know, bandaged up, limping, who grabs the fucking map off the side of the building and gets back into the truck with uh, Jesse. He goes, yep, let's go fuck. (laughs) Yeah, why? I was going to ask you the same question. I don't know why he grabbed that map off the fucking side of the building. I mean, it's not like they why? need it to get back to the highway. Yeah. They know all they have to do is follow that road. They're on the highway, and he knew how to get where he had to go on the highway. Is he doing it to what? To prevent other people from going, seeing the gas station, seeing that road, and saying, "Hey, we're gonna go this way." I mean, I guess maybe. I think he's. I. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just a wraparound. <laughs> yeah, no. just, like, I think they're just trying to tie it back in And I thought they were going to go the, the Hills Have Eyes route with it mm. And find out like you know He's like related to them He's their father You know I mean you figure yeah. somebody had to have made these things You know like where did they come from otherwise But you don't find out And that's what I said talking about You do <laughs> In an epic way do but you? Again, but I didn't. I didn't hear you find that out in that one, man. I just thought they were found on that property. You never found out who their parents were or anything like that. Was that they, five? There's a drop line. There's a very quick wow. drop line. <laughs> it's not much, but that's why I said in an epic way. Quotation marks, sarcasm. You do find out, you know, where they came from, you know, before they became well, the Hillier King, family. This is an oral medium here. I couldn't see your quotation marks when you did your quotation marks. And that's why I said it, because I was like, you can't be sarcastic over the fucking airwaves unless you say that you're being sarcastic. <laughs> I did the job. <laughs> but yeah, Tone they, they of sarcasm. Fuck- I see what you're yeah. saying now. <laughs> they take the fucking map 
But when he rips the map down, there's another map behind it. So I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, there is still another map. That map didn't have the road on it. That map didn't have the road. I'm telling you, man, that old man was getting paid to let those hillbillies, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to channel people to those hillbillies, man. They, he was he was sending people their way. He was feeling like he was, you know, condescending me and you making fun of me and my, my lack of dentistry and drinking my Pepto-Bismo brought to you by Pepto-Bismo. And by the way, if you got acid <laughs> indigestion, you should have some Pepto-Bismo. I'd have, I'd have stomach diarrhea. Indigestion. I'd have stomach diarrhea too if I look like that. <laughs> <laughs> with that one fucking snarly tooth out of his mouth, I'm like, where the fuck did they find this guy? <laughs> he's great. You know, this country fucking Ed Bumpkin, you being in this movie. He's because he's that's what he could be backwards. You know, I just, I, I love that kid. But yeah, they, they take the map and then they drive off in the, the cannibal's uh, pickup truck. Um, and then it cuts because we're, we're finished. The movie's over, but it's not because we have a mid-credit sequence. Of another park ranger showing up to the burnt remains of the cabin that the cannibals were in. And Three Fingers is very much still alive, doing a hysterical <laughs> laugh before he kills the ranger. They don't show the death, but you presume that that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I well, like I Three Fingers. That, what that fucking laugh was great. I mean, ultimately, they all survived, correct? All three of them? They did. Yep, they all survived. Like that said, I, I don't remember enough of the, uh, the 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 sequel and the the third movie to to, to remember. Yeah, I'll, I'll like, go back and watch like it. Said, yes. yeah. Part two is such a passable movie. Like Henry Rollins is great. Um, the actress that was in Blair Witch Two is in it. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, um, but she was in the movie. It's fine, you know. But like I said, I watched the movie because Joe Lynch did it, and I'm such a huge Joe Lynch fan. So it's not a great movie. And here we are. We're talking about things. And like I said, like I always say, so, you know, like the Google told me me about the pine trees, you know, don't talk out your ass, Keith. Well, guess what? It turns out that if you did watch the sequel and see if it was of quality and then I remembered it, you actually find out that this old bastard is their uh, their father. Yeah, I didn't want to spoil that. His character name is Maynard. And yep. indeed, he is uh, see, I, I, Maynard. I, I used to know. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, I used to, but my parents, right? I have to be quick because obviously we only have like four minutes to go. We don't know what the, the doc's pick is either. So We don't. Um, it's a mystery. We'll tell he, you he you never got around to telling us. Um, but, but regardless, we used to have this, uh, this big girl. A really, really big girl that worked at uh, my my father's company, and she had this beat the shit old ass fucking pickup truck, and she named it Maynard. You know, for whatever reason, man, we never knew why. It was just whatever name that she she chose to to fucking name this this big old piece of shit. So whenever I hear the name Maynard, that's like the first thing I ever think of, man. And yeah, this this was like when I mean big girl, I mean this was like a like a big big girl. I remember one time. It, Oh, I remember one time in particular, I mean, it was fucking, it was like a running joke, but seriously, like, she was, like, making an order for breakfast from the luncheonette, the, the Manalpin luncheonette, which was right next to my oh, old yeah, man's shop. Yep. 
and there was like somebody else in the shop who wasn't familiar with everything, you know, and that person's like, wow, it was so nice of you to order breakfast for everybody. And she looked up and was like, with no, no beats missed. She goes, what are you talking about? That was just for me. And I mean, this was like, this was like multiple orders, not just like one order of a lot of pancakes. It was like multiple orders of pancakes, like two <laughs> breakfast sandwiches, all kinds of sides. It was like, it was like a meal for like five people that this uh, chick was going to just eat all on her own. That's how gross she was. Like, it was like bad. Mm, like, I don't mean to body right. shame, but this is no. like bad, bad, you know? All right. Well, hit us with that uh, plug as we close out, Gold. That's a wonderful image for all of you. So, you know, just just, just remember, we love you. We do. <laughs> Everybody. Well, I guess, I, I guess it is time to, to wrap things up. We've got about 60 seconds or so. So I'm going to, be to, I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. Don't make wrong turns. Go to Bonfire Be Designs and buy yourself some jewelry, rings, bracelets, necklaces, earrings, all kinds of cool, crazy stuff not made by West Virginia hillbillies, not made by mutants, made by the very own ghoul girl. She handcrafts all of this stuff. It is all beautiful. Get on there. It's on Etsy, all one word, Bonfire Be Designs, and stay scared. Love it. Until next week, meet. Next week is a doc pick. We don't know. It's a mystery pick. We'll let you know, though, next week on the Talking Terror Facebook page. Keep America strong. God bless yourselves. God bless Captain Spalding. We'll see you next time. Get some chicken.